This is my final commentary on crime and punishment. I'm glad I didn't discover Joseph Frank until now, but I am very glad that I discovered him. He's the author of the universally acclaimed Dostoevsky, A Writer in His Time, and it includes a whole chapter on crime and punishment. In the course of reading this novel, I've often searched for critical commentary, longing for a scholar's helpful guidance when I felt overwhelmed, which I often did. But more often than not, I was disappointed. I usually did not find the commentary clarifying, and worse, I often felt I didn't even speak the language. When a critic starts talking about Raskolnikov's motivation in Oedipal terms, I'm done. It was good for me to stumble through the novel myself, without any pre-digested themes as a filter on my own experience. But it is even better for me now, having done a careful chapter-by-chapter reading, to have the guidance of a true scholar and teacher. His discussion of the book is a breath of clean and fresh air. I'm going to do my best to present the essence of it, but it's worth reading the whole thing. My fear coming out of this novel was that I wouldn't be able to see how it all adds up. But Frank lays that out brilliantly. He says that Crime and Punishment is a mystery novel in which the focus is not on a search for the murderer, but on the murderer's search for his own motive. As in all mystery novels, we are given false clues that mislead us. We think, and he thinks, his crime was driven by his financial circumstances, by compassion for his family, by utilitarian calculation. Raskolnikov is convinced that he is committing his crime from humanitarian impulses. But even so, his conscience continually resists. Over time, he learns, and we learn, his true motive. Raskolnikov's conviction that he acted for the good of mankind is first challenged by his immediate feeling of agonizing, everlasting solitude and estrangement. He finds that his relationship to the world has been completely and irredeemably changed, and he feels alienated from everyone, including his own family. It is challenged further by the fact that he never even looks in the purse. This crime was allegedly committed so that he had the means to take his first steps— so that he could help his family, so that he could benefit those who suffered as a consequence of the old woman's miserliness. But he buries the spoils under a stone and wants nothing to do with them. Then he interacts with a cast of characters, each of whom helps to shed light on the truth. There's Razumihin, whose economic circumstances are the same as his own, but who simply sets to work and makes his own way. That does away with the theory that Raskolnikov's condition of poverty and oppression were the cause of his crime. There's Luzhin, a vile man who embraces the utilitarian convictions of the younger generation, and who espouses the very ideas Raskolnikov used to justify murder. Raskolnikov can see that Luzhin is using these noble ideals as a cover for self-serving ends. As it becomes more and more clear to Raskolnikov that he can no longer claim altruistic humanitarian goals, and he is left morally defenseless, he tries shifting his focus to self-defense and defiance of the law. 
his cat-and-mouse game with Porfiry is all that keeps him going. In the confrontation with Zamyatov, we see the satisfaction Raskolnikov derives from outwitting his pursuers, and we begin to see the most monstrous element of his nature emerge. The crime was not committed for the good of mankind, and it was not simply the product of an ideological miscalculation. Within him is a sinister impulse to assert his will, and that impulse was served by the rationalizations he had clung to. It is in the scene with Sonia that he confesses what we, little by little, have come to see. He committed this crime from a vicious impulse to test whether he had the right, to transgress, to embrace the idea that all is permitted. So, without the pretense of moral purpose, having lost the cat-and-mouse game, aware that it's only a vile assertion of ego that moved him to murder, he's left with two choices, embodied in Svidrigailov and Sonia. Embrace that vileness, like Svidrigailov, or strive for Sonia's unshakable faith and self-sacrificial purity. Then, Svidrigailov kills himself from self-loathing, and Raskolnikov sees that that is no way out. That's my best attempt at explaining this novel from Frank's bird's-eye perspective. And here's how I see the ending. Left with no other path, and drawn to Sonia with that involuntary awe, he surrenders to her way. He goes to take his suffering, and eventually, having dropped all his defenses, he's able to experience a resurrection, and to see a path to redemption. Many of you have said, as I gather most readers of this novel say, that the resurrection is unconvincing. Not being an expert on this, my guess is simply that Dostoevsky himself was unconvinced. He saw the evils in nihilistic philosophy. He understood how they could be used in service of man's basest impulses. He wanted to be convinced, intellectually, of Sonia's way. But he was left only with that involuntary awe that emerged from his conscience. He hoped, as Raskolnikov hoped, that if he followed in her path, someday her convictions could be his. But he didn't know exactly how, and he wasn't prepared to tell that story. I hope that's helpful as a lens for looking at the whole. I found this book formidable, and I look forward to thinking about it more in connection with other of Dostoevsky's works. I'm most keen to read The Devils and The Brothers Karamazov. I hope that maybe someday we can read them together.